Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Nate Hansen and Tim Ritter. We are Almost Heretical. You can find us online at almostheretical.com. Welcome back to Almost Heretical. I'm Nate, and I want to welcome those of you who have been on this journey with us for years, but also those of you who are now just joining and starting to take these steps towards reimagining your spirituality and unpacking some new ways of being in this world. On this episode, you're going to hear many voices of your fellow listeners who shared questions and personal stories. So thank you to all of you who contributed to this episode in that way. And also thank you to all of you who support this show financially over on Patreon. And if you want to dive deeper, we have these monthly conference calls for supporters where we discuss a lot of the topics that we talk about on this show, but we get to do it in a much more in-depth way and personal way. And I really enjoy getting to meet you and learn from your experiences. So to join in our next one, you can visit almostheretical.com and find out more. A word of warning about this episode, we're going to be talking about a specific instance of sexual abuse with a prominent Christian apologist, and also just the topic of sexual abuse in general. So if that isn't a safe topic for you to listen to, or if you're listening with anyone that you don't want to be listening to that topic with, please feel free to skip this episode. I had a really helpful chat with Julianne Smith. She's a researcher and writer on the topic of spiritual and sexual abuse and the cover-up that often follows. She's personally exposed many instances of abuse and cover-up in churches and ministries. You can read her work at spiritualsoundingboard.com and follow her on Twitter at DefendTheSheep. Okay, here's my conversation with Julianne Smith. Okay, so the, the reason we're, we're talking right now is because of something that you reported on three years ago that is now finally, I guess, being listened to, being, uh, there was an investigation done, and that report came out um, this week or two ago, mm-hmm. so now it's kind of making, and it was in Christianity Today, maybe that's why, but, but <laughs> I guess this, this whole story of Ravi Zacharias and what happened to Lorianne Thompson and many others... You reported on this three years ago. Why, why was this? Why do you feel like this was dismissed? Not, not this major news like it is now. What, like what's happening here? That is the question, Nate. Um, are you ready to dive? <laughs> I, let's go. Let's go. Uh, um, yeah, I, um, I tweeted, um, you know, after this report came out, and I said something to the effect of, "Now I'm going to put it in my own lingo." Uh, very casually here, but my lingo was kind of like, y'all, what happened here? Because I posted about this in November of 2017. If you look at my track record on investigative blogging on cases of abuse, it's stellar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've not had to retract anything. Um, but why is it that my reporting is dismissed entirely. So I, I've had to think about that. 
Um, it's very, very frustrating because when I first published it, um, I know what's going to happen. And especially with somebody of Robbie Zacharias's caliber, um, so, so highly respected. Um, he, he came across as such a kind, gentle man. He's, um, he's just been a fixture in Christian evangelicalism and, you know, the apologetic side, um, world renowned. But what was it that prevented people from just grabbing hold of that story and saying, wait, 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 what just happened here and what are we going to do about it? And Nate, I really think it comes down to who women are in the church, how we are viewed, um, because it, you know, first of all, Lorianne's voice was dismissed. Um, I get that because that happens all the time to survivors. Yeah. But my voice was also dismissed, despite the fact that I've got a good track record. You know, you, I think you know some of my backstory that I was sued by a pastor for $500,000 for publicly saying my pastor was an abusive pastor. And I won that lawsuit. So I understand the risks that it takes to publish something like this to go up against RZIM and Ravi Zacharias. Um, but you, when I got the story, it came from two highly respected individuals, and I knew they did the vetting. I did uh, additional vetting. Um, her story absolutely fit the pattern that I've, I've observed, that I've studied, that I've worked with on clergy sexual abuse survivors. There was no doubt in my mind that this was true. So it comes back to why is it not believed, listened to? Well, you know, you could say all this stuff about that this is just a an organization and he's so powerful and he there's no way he could ever do anything like this. We've got, you know, people watching. They don't they don't want to entertain anything, but they especially don't want to entertain an accusation by a woman. They especially don't. This is a systemic problem in Christian evangelicalism. Um it doesn't take very much to dig a little deeper into looking at that culture. I I was jotting down some notes just for myself because it's like I I had to you know kind of do my own journaling and, and why 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 uh, it's so disheartening to have a voice to have something that's so important to say and then to have it completely dismissed yeah. like rubbish <laughs> you're. You know, and, and not only to have it dismissed, but then to be attacked for that for saying that. So Lorianne and I both were um, publicly trashed for sharing her personal testimony. In Christian evangelicalism, the message from a lot of male leaders is that women are the weaker vessel. We've got to have protection because we're we're weak. Um, we're prone to deception. Uh, we're the first to sin because of Eve. Oh, geez. Yeah. We, we are temptresses. Um, we need to be controlled. We're malicious gossipers. The, everything is stacked against us. So if you, are in a, if you are a male in a position of leadership and you hear somebody attacking somebody that you look to as a hero, as a champion of Faith. If if you if you look to somebody like that and you're a male, and then you hear Laurieann Thompson's story, and you're going through the, that filter of those 
descriptors that I just mentioned, you're going to dismiss it all. It just won't make sense to you. Does that make sense? No, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm trying to say is all those descriptors that I said seem to be at the forefront of a lot of popular male church leaders. So when they become acquainted or hear of something like what I report on, it has to go through all of that filter. Hmm. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. She's, you know, so it just gets completely dismissed. No, yeah. And so kind of just take take a step back. So that's the dismissing that happens once it is, and the silencing of women that happens once it is, uh, the allegations are brought. Why does this keep happening in the first, this this cycle, why does this keep happening where uh, it's more likely, I don't know all the stats, but it's, it's at least as likely, if not more likely within a religious context to have sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, you know, that's obviously going to happen in a, in a religious context, but why is it more, why is this more likely? Why does this cycle keep happening? Is there, and there was, I want to get into um, this as well. Sheila Gregoire had Mm -hmm. just a a Twitter thread that she did, which got turned into an article, but she's, she's talking about, is there something deeper here? Is there looking at like the evangelical view on sex in our Christian culture? She's saying maybe there's something deeper here. Maybe there's something more foundational um, in how we approach these topics. Uh, I just want to read, I guess, a couple of these. She, she pulls out some quotes from different books that are pretty alarming. So there's um, the Every Man's Battle series of books um, in Every Heart Restored. It says, because of male hardwiring, men don't naturally have the Christian view of sex. Um, another book says, we find another reason for the prevalence of sexual sin among men. We got there naturally simply by being male. Tim LaHaye in The Act of Marriage says women must cultivate the problem of visual lust, whereas men, am I reading this right? Women must call. Sometimes I have to like check myself. Like, am I reading this right? Um, Women must cultivate the problem of visual lust, whereas men almost universally must cope with the problem just because they are men. Right there. So you have this imbalance already. You have a picture of what, these male authors are saying about Christian sex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're 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 saying this is the way it is. They they're but that's not what women are saying. They're not listening to women's voices. So once again, this is another descriptor. Like I was mentioning before in that list, you can add this to that. It's another wrong conclusions based on men's ideas about sex because women's voices are not being brought to the table. We are not allowed to be at that table. So they're going to continue this same type of ideology or you know teaching or whatever you want to call it until women can pull up a chair hmm. and join them totally. on an equal basis. And there's like, it feels like there's this um, underlying messaging, incorrect messaging towards women and towards men. Yeah. And just even in reading Sheila's tweets there, and then just the Christian culture, evangelical culture that I grew up in, I remember being frustrated as a man. We were always given these messages that like, we're these animals that basically can't control ourselves. And so you, you, you view yourself as naturally, intensely sexual, can't control yourself. And then women are viewed as like, obviously men are going to take advantage of like, there's this on both sides, there's these weird 
and incorrect views that we have. And so I think that's another reason why this this keeps happening as well. These We almost set it up this way uh, in just reading these. I mean, there's even some love and respect says, if your husband is typical, he has needs you don't have. Uh, power of a praying wife says, but for a husband, sex is pure need. His eyes, ears, brain, and emotions get clouded if he doesn't have that release. Wait a minute here. You know, what about women's release? Right. <laughs> do, do, do women not appreciate good sex as well? You know, we're... we're Again, their voice is missing here. <laughs> I hate it. And it makes me mad because, you know, it makes it sound like I hate men. I don't hate men. What I hate is women's voices being squelched and silenced. Yeah. You know, what the deal is, is it's, this is causing harm to men as well. This is, this is not just causing harm to women. I mean, it, this kind of message is really destructive for a marriage. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, get into that a bit. Like, I have I have my own things I'm thinking, but yeah, how well, have you seen that? Well, okay, so I'm in um, private women's groups, and I'm hearing women who are very, very sexually frustrated. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's the other way around for them. Um, they are the ones going. I'm not getting it. Yeah, and you know, I I want to have a healthy sexual relationship, but I'm not getting it in my marriage. Um, you know, the messages were always, you know, he's gonna want me and you know and I'm not going to be able to keep up with him and yep. whatever and it, and for some women it's not that it's not the case so it's very very conflicting and then those women feel completely you know alone and wonder what's wrong with me <laughs> and it may not be anything wrong with them yeah I, yeah I want to I want to talk a little bit about too like this whole idea it happens with with um sexual assault it happens with spiritual abuse but there's this idea in the in Christian churches of protecting the image and the reputation of the church, um, and mm. you just hear this a lot. You hear this when someone raises, whether it's you know power issues with with the lead pastor or um, some sexual abuse scandal that comes out. Uh, there's this like, well, we for the sake of you know the kingdom, we need to we need to protect this. I want to play. Um, we asked you all to submit some questions for Julianne um, and you were so wonderful and you did that. And we have some amazing questions. I want to play some of those if you're up for it. Oh yeah. Julianne to kind of respond sure. to some of those. Okay. Let's, uh, let's play the, let's play the first one now. Hi, Nate. It's Becky from Roanoke. Uh, my question is how do we hold clergy and church leaders accountable? Because when even the truth comes out, uh, even in Protestant denominations, the bishops, of those denominations and other church leaders and colleagues of clergy continually protect them from accountability. Becky is absolutely right. What we typically find in um, abuse situations is an abusive leader, and then we find a team of people that surround that abusive leader and shield that leader and protect. Mm. So, Basically, any kind of darts that are thrown to that leader, they are, they've got their shields up and diverting those darts elsewhere. And it will look like blaming that person who's, who's doing the accusation. It will be um, putting that person in some kind of trouble or church discipline for speaking out. Um, that, that person is always blamed. Um, but sometimes, interestingly enough, the leaders will never even hear these accusations because there is such a strong support network around that leader. Um, and you know, this this is what we frequently see with narcissism. They always have that group. You can't penetrate it, wow. so they just rally around that leader 
and they clean up his messes. I'm saying his, but you know, generally. Yeah. 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 Um, But that's, that's what happens. Um, It happened in my church. It's happened, you know, with Ravi. It's happened in every case that I've covered. So you're climbing an uphill battle. It's just really difficult until you have, well, for example, that report, that investigative report came out and there's undeniable evidence on his phone and witnesses. It's, it's ridiculous that it takes so long, but this seems to be the, the way it works. Um, I knew when I reported it in, in 2017, I knew what was going to happen. I I hate it. Um, I don't lose sleep over it anymore, but you know, I have to warn every survivor that I work with. I say, you're going to go through hell. (laughs) You know, this is going to be really, really difficult. Mm. Are you sure you want to do this? Because you are going to be drugged through the mud. Your family is. It's a hard, hard journey for anybody willing to come out. Um, But Becky is absolutely right. I I just don't know how to hold them accountable um, because what we're dealing with is a broken system already. These systems are already broken. If you've got a, a leader who's already that, you know, doing that kind of behavior, yeah. If if they've been going on, you know, so now we know that this has been going on for oh, probably a decade, or pro- I would I would imagine even more. It, right. it, this doesn't just happen overnight. This right. is a gradual process. So it's a systemic problem, and from the top down, the whole system is corrupt, and they are not going to want to hear or entertain any type of negativity towards their their chosen one you know yeah it's there's like a the concern is more for the ministry than for the women being affected there's this there's this statement from Lorianne, or there's this quote from Lorianne in her statement um she said i tried to tell a christian counselor what was happening to me he told me not to tell anyone especially not my husband Mm. that he could see Ravi's draw to me, and that if anyone ever found out, the kingdom of God would be irreparably damaged. And I've, I feel like I've heard that a lot, whether it's a sexual sexual abuse or spiritual abuse. Like, hey, we need to we need to do some damage control here because the kingdom of God is going to be irreparably damaged. As if, as if the damage is, is about to happen, and not looking at the fact, not looking at how the kingdom of God has already been damaged. Right. And that that. <laughs> That just it's just you're missing the damage that's sitting right in front of you that's already happened and saying, How can we keep the church, how can we keep the kingdom from being damaged here? And it's like, wait a what what about what Lorianne just told you? What about the damage that was just shared with you? Was that the kingdom of God being damaged? Or are you are you concerned about some future damage that's gonna happen? With every case like this that we we deal with, um I see that response all the time. What about the witness for Christ? What about the church? What is the saying to unbelievers um, when we draw attention to the sins of, of great great church leaders? Um, well, guess what? He wasn't a great church leader. He was a fraud. He was a predator, a sexual predator. Yes. So what we're doing when we highlight these cases is we are we're defending Christ and we're saying, this is not acceptable. It is not acceptable to have a sexual predator as a leader. And he, Ravi Zacharias, is the one who has damaged Christ's name. Also, I see a lot of people will abandon the church 
because of the fact that these evil predators are so easily dismissed. Hmm. So we've got a mass exiting of Christians who want nothing to do with institutional church anymore because they are sick and tired of this going on and allowing these abusive leaders to stay in control. The better way to handle this, and and I've heard this from so many people, is to put it on the table, deal with it transparently, honestly, and elevate that survivor walk alongside her figure figure out what what did we do wrong you know she's the expert in her trauma she needs to be given an opportunity to teach and that's one yes. of the things that i to teach people you know there are lessons to be learned and we can learn them from survivors and that's that's a big message that so many of these um church leaders are still missing because you know they've got all these ideas what can we learn from Ravi Zacharias case I, I want to talk about that too in a second here I have some like I want to go through some reactions and responses because there's one just pretty horrific one from the gospel gospel coalition no surprise but <laughs> and it's on that it's like on what can we learn from from Ravi um so let's get to that in one second but I also want to ask why is it more prevalent in the church than outside the church you know and and I was been thinking about this like the only thing I can come up with is that inside the church, we're taught that we should have authority over us and mm-hmm. we should trust someone else, whether it's God or this man of God or or the man of God or trust God through this man of God, but we should trust something else more than we trust ourselves. Mm. And you're not really taught that outside. You're, you're, you know, outside the church, you're taught to trust your feelings, listen to your emotions and listen to yourself. In the church, we're taught, deny yourself. So here's another question we got from a listener or just an experience, I guess, that we got from a listener that I want to play and uh, and kind of hear your reaction to this as well. Hi, Nate. It's Renee from St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I went to missions college in the early 90s, and Ravi Zacharias was a huge deal in my circles. I heard him at Urbana 93, the big missions conference for college kids. I read his books. I listened to his sermons and talks, um, and I was always creeped out by the guy. And that was not something that I could say out loud because he was Ravi Zacharias and he was just extremely revered. And um, so I just, my head knew that he was a great guy and I should like him. And my the rest of my body was creeped out by the guy for reasons I couldn't articulate. And so when all of this came out about his abuses, I have to admit that the first thing I felt was anger, not for the victims, but anger at the fact that I knew there was something wrong with him and I couldn't trust it. And I think that's one of the things that fundamentalism steals from us is that ability to trust our instincts, to trust our knowledge and teaches us that we just have to rely on this external objective truth uh, that we can't really know because our hearts are deceitful and wicked. And so that was my first instinct um, was just anger at, I knew it. I knew there was something wrong with this guy and I had no framework for trusting that knowledge in myself. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, there is that authority structure, Nate, that you um, mentioned. And in that authority structure, we dismiss our own ideas. We second guess what we feel in our heart. Um, we lose our agency. We lose our critical thinking skills. And when you lose that, um, basically, you're putting yourself under 
somebody else. And you you become a puppet. Your brain is, is not yours anymore. Hmm. I mean, you know, when I study cults, people will move to even from one country to another to be under a certain leader hmm. that they admire. Um, I've covered these stories. So it's, it's a very powerful thing. Um, you know, Renee is right. Because of that authority structure, we are turning over that important sense of discernment that we might have, mm. innate discernment. You know, really, Christian leaders should be servant leaders. They're the ones who, are, who should be coming behind us and helping us discover our gifts and pushing us that way. But instead, what we see in these types of situations are authoritarians who get to decide how your marriage is going to look like, what your sex life is going to look like, what, how you're going to raise your children. Yeah. I mean, they, in, they intrude in so much of people's personal lives. And the culture is we allow that, well, at least in the Christian evangelical culture, is we expect that to happen and we allow that and we go along with that. And it, it's, it's time to stop that. Yeah, I find that just even, you know, a lot of the listeners to our show are in this kind of deconstructed, um, their faith has evolved into something else. Some mm -hmm. are would consider themselves not even Christian anymore because of maybe some of the things they saw, or maybe they just can't believe some of the things they used to believe. And that's totally fine. And we have lots of different types of listeners to the show. But what I've found just personally is in that deconstruction journey, that that is one of the common questions is like, well, then who's the authority going to be in your life? You know, if, you do, if, you're, if you're removing this, outside authority or this outside authority from a book, um, what what or who is going to be the authority in your life? Because if it's just going to be you and your feelings, then you're going to be led astray. And I think it goes back to original sin, the fault, like, I don't know, but this idea that we are these horrible, wretched sinners and we can never, there's no good in us. We can't, we can't listen to ourselves. Um, our thoughts are deceiving, our emotions, you know, lean not on your own understanding, deny yourself, like all these thoughts, all these expressions that we have inside of Christianity can kind of lead to that. And you're and you're a guy, Nate. So imagine me as a woman right. who is married to a guy, um, and yet th this this husband is supposed to be protecting me. This husband is supposed to be my spiritual head. This per this person, I'm supposed to take all of my my uh, spiritual questions to him. Nobody mm -hmm. else. So basically, he owns my faith, and he answers to God. Wow. Uh, so yeah. again, um, if you're having those thoughts now, now try to put your eyes yeah. through what women are dealing with. Totally. There's an imbalance of authority is what I'm trying to say. Um, with Within marriages, within churches. I, I know this is a diverse audience and I, boy, I've gone through a ton of uh, deconstructing as well. I, I still maintain uh, my faith. It's a little different. <laughs> it used to be a lot different. But when I look at scripture now through different eyes and through different understanding, I don't see Jesus like that. I don't see Jesus as doing this authority stuff, you know, and I, I saw him pretty much elevating women. Right. So that really did a change in me as far as what I'm going to put up with from guys trying to tell me you can't talk. Yep. And you know me on Twitter. I'm, I'm oh, calling, we're going to get to some of your tweets. <laughs> oh, you we're are. Definitely gonna, oh, I, got, cool. I have, I've pulled some of your tweets. We're going to get to some of your tweets. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go through um, reactions. I put together some reactions that I saw and you probably will have some more that you've seen. Um, it feels like common reactions. Some are specific to, to this case. And then some are just what we hear with spiritual abuse or just whenever something like this happens, 
feel like there's these responses, whether it's on Twitter or just you hear from a, another Christian or just, I don't know, you see in the news or whatever. And I want to go through these and just kind of get, I, you know, I have maybe seven or eight of them here and I want to just kind of get your response to to this and maybe help us help us have for listeners who these are the responses we get um from friends family online what are what are ways that we can think about this differently so uh here's one we live in a broken world we're all sinners you know there's this is it's almost like there's an it implies like this is to be expected or like all sins are equal or something something like that what's your what's a good comeback to that i guess Okay, Nate, that this really ticks me off. You know, yeah, we all sin, but we are not we are not all sexual predators. Yep. This man was a deviant. He had a plan of attack. He had messages in different languages in his cell phone so that he could lure women. I mean, how how many of us do that? Come on. No, this guy really should be if he were alive, he should be in prison. He, I mean, the the stuff on his phone looked like sex trafficking to me. Um, you know, having uh, women from uh, overseas on the payroll under the guise of a different um, profession, but yet they were giving him sexual favors. I, I, and, and I can't even say giving him sexual favors. No, he was violating them. Right. So no, th- this is not the same. That this is called sin leveling, and it is a very destructive thing that we see all over in the comments on the articles. You see it time and again. It's baloney. Um, no, we are not sexual deviants. This this man was evil. He was a predator, a sexual predator. Yeah, and I think that comes from this whole idea that like <laughs> we've all fallen short of God's glory. So no matter what we do, from Hitler to you know, stealing that piece of candy from the store. It's like, no, this is, this is, this is the kind of stuff that just doesn't make sense outside of the church. Right. When you try to bring that to the world, this is what I say all the time in the show, try to bring that to the world. It doesn't make sense. They don't have a framework for that. They don't want it. Well, they'll, they'll reject it outside. They reject it entirely. And and they, I, I think it makes them say, what in the world are these Christians thinking? I mean, why is this so difficult? Okay, next. We can't trust earthly leaders. Only Jesus is perfect. This is why we shouldn't put leaders on pedestals. And then I'm going like, isn't that what the whole local church is sort of, that, that, that is the setup we have. Whether it's a hundred person church, there's still a guy at the top, usually a guy at the top. And we all come and listen to that guy. And he tells us his interpretation of what the Bible says. And uh, we listen to this man of God and we trust this man of God. He has authority. Like, isn't this sort of the setup? And so then when it happens on a more macro scale with a large Christian apologist or whatever, then we're like surprised. But aren't like even small churches kind of the breeding ground for this, whether they've had a, a scandal or something happen? Yeah, it definitely can be. The deal again is, let's say you're a part of a church. I think it it's very important to question, do I still have agency? Do Am I allowed to have critical thinking skills? Am I allowed to think differently than my church leader? Hmm. Am I allowed to question my church leader? What happens if I do that? So, th- you know, that's one of the things that you would be really helpful to do in, in any type of church environment that would help those safety checks stay in place and to make sure that you are not getting in a harmful place where somebody is you know, using their authority in a negative way. 
Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So many churches are set up like this, and it's once that authority and the control gets to the leader's head, we can we can see a lot of problems. Um, so we have to be on guard yeah. at all times. Yeah. Okay. Next. Um... Next reaction I hear a bit is, especially in this case where Ravi is dead now, um, it's this idea that like vengeance is God's or this is in, you know, it's in God's hand now, um, kind of implies there's nothing we can do about this (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. It should be over with because he's dead. Why, you know, let God deal with it. Well, the issue is, is that it happened in a so-called well-known institution. They missed it. Why did they miss it? And what was in place so that this was allowed to continue for years, and not only with Lorian Thompson, but with the other um, people who worked in the spa, you know, there were many people who came forward. So you have to address, where are we right now? Um, you have to look at it. This was, in- this was an institutional failure, systemic failure, and there were key people in place who contributed to his evil continuing. Yeah. So yeah, you have to look at it and you have to clean up shop. Yeah. And I hope that means shutting this bit, this uh, organization down entirely. Yeah. So I guess another reaction um, I hear too is like, this is just a bad apple. Uh, you know, don't judge the Christian leaders. Don't judge the church. I would say don't judge the system, you know, by these few bad leaders and maybe this is something we're a little bit in a different, a little bit of a different spot on too. I think um, I might be a little bit farther outside of uh, some of the traditional Christianity that and you are too, but I, but just like some of maybe the traditional Christian beliefs, I do want to look at this and say what 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 does this tell us about the way we've set up the whole church thing to to be and the leader at the top, the guy at the top, and the elder board that kind of supports him, and um, and is there even some theology in this? The way we view God. Uh, as the ultimate authority that then tells us, you know, what we can do. Don't trust your feelings. Like, is there more going on here than just this was a bad apple or have we created an an environment and maybe some of the theology that backs this up, have we created this and it kind of, we kind of get, these are, these are going to happen because of what we've created. Um, And obviously he's a sexual predator as well. And not every pastor is a sexual predator, Um, but there's spiritual abuse. And we're going to start getting into that here in a bit. Is some of this, kind of what the system is supposed to create a bit. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I think it it it's prone to happen, right? I mean, if you've got top-down authority where you've created an environment where the lowly people don't have voices, um, yeah, it's going to happen, you know, because it's going to, that power and control gets to the leader's head and um, who needs those little voices? Okay, here's the, here's the last one. <laughs> We, we rag on the gospel coalition a lot. John Piper desiring God, like there's a lot to, um, there's a lot to rag on them about. And this one, I was reading this article. First of all, it's not front and center on gospel coalition. And that's another, that's another issue I have here is a lot of these supposed to be Christian, prominent Christian sites and voices on these topics. Like, why isn't it, you know, front and center, they had something about baptism, I think all last week. And you had to scroll down to the bottom. And what was telling, you scroll down to the bottom of, of Gospel Coalition's website and on their trending articles, number one, two, and three, like, like the top articles were the, were the ones they had done about about this whole Ravi situation and Lorianne Thompson's story. But so that's like what listeners, that's what readers were actually consuming. But 
at the top of their site, that's, there's nothing to be found about it. So I thought that was kind of telling too. But so there's this quote, the article was like, whatever. I don't remember who wrote it even. It was like, eh, whatever, decent, fine. But then the end, I was like, okay, where's he going to land this plane? Um, and there's this quote. And I just thought it was so, I was like, did that, is this really the takeaway here? Okay. He says, leaders, okay, so apparently this article, um, which there wasn't any indication when I was reading the article that it was for pastors and shepherds and leaders, but suddenly at the end there is. So he says, leaders, um, like, what can we do here? You know, he says, leaders, because Jesus took the form of a servant for us, we can serve others. Okay, fine. Then he says, we must not exploit them for our sexual or financial gain. We must tremble before the judgment of God because we will give an account. So it's like, first of all, tremble before. So the only, are you, are you not doing this? And this is another area where I feel like the non church goers look at the church and go, so you're not doing it because you're going to give, you're not going to sexually exploit them for your or you're not going to exploit them for your sexual or financial gain because you're giving it, going to give an account before God. But if you weren't, then that's you, you. And then the whole idea that like, that's what you need to say. You need to say like now, now just remember, don't exploit your members for it, sexual or financial gain. Well, like that's the, that's such a low bar. Oh, don't even <laughs> just, get me going, Nate. Uh, the, oh. Yeah. I mean, well, consider, consider the source, right? <laughs> Yeah, oh. yeah, I've I've reported a lot on my blog about those folks. Um they're just so out of touch. Just just what you mentioned that they are putting baptism up there, but yet you could see that the readers really are trying to make sense of the Ravi Zacharias situation, you know, they're out of touch. Um they're trying to put forward what they want rather than what is really going on. And uh boy, isn't that the way it's has always been right well it's almost like i guess what frustrates me too is like they're, they're kind of this angle of like how this could possibly take a man out you know it's like hey be careful here because like this could this could take you out now that now that there's twitter and there's the me too movement and church Too movement where you can get a little bit of people listening to you at least your story can be shared and and it could take a man out it's almost like hey leaders be careful here you know it's like so watch out like it, yeah yeah it reveals that the concern is is how it's going to affect the man and the leader not the woman it's like now it's now it's something we need to take seriously it's like crazy <laughs> oh yeah well and that's exactly what i've been dealing with on twitter and have been raising the flag and saying you guys you haven't been listening so what do you expect but the the, the idea that they're defending in that role, you know, what you were just describing is almost like, Hey, pastors, you, you need to watch out. You know, we, we shouldn't be doing, <laughs> what is that? It's, it's just messed up. It's, it's entirely backwards and it's, it's self-protective mode rather than reality of what's going on. And again, they're not listening to survivors. They choose, they're choosing that. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian. I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, he works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. 
Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. We've been talking a lot about sexual abuse. Um, I also want to get into talking about spiritual abuse. They're connected in a way in that I think sexual abuse in the church is a form of spiritual abuse because that position that that leader has of spiritual authority can um, often be the entry point or something like that into into the abuse. Uh, but then there's also just even more general spiritual abuse. And we got a lot of listener questions about this. Um, I'd love to play some of those and kind of, because you, you know, you're a researcher, reporter on spiritual abuse as well. You, you survivor of spiritual abuse in the church. And so, yeah, want to hear your thoughts on these. Hi, Nate. This is Joel from the UK. Now I have two questions. What is spiritual abuse? And is it possible to experience spiritual abuse without realizing it? Oh, wow. You know, spiritual abuse is when a person in a position of authority uses that position and influence to control somebody in a, and it could be in a spiritual way. It could be even in their personal lives. It could be as simple as, you know, no, you shouldn't take that job. No, you shouldn't move here. But using that position to control in, in someone's personal life and then kind of underscoring it with because the Bible says or because this is what God says or whatever, it's it's there. Basically, um, you're turning over so much of yourself to another individual who uses it to harm spiritually. Mm. And the other question was, can that happen without you knowing it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it happened to me. You know, it happens in the context of sermons um, where you, let, let's say you're dealing with a topic of, of a specific sin, and then you take Bible verses out of context and apply them to that particular sin. It's amazing what can be done with just grabbing a couple verses and saying, well, see, this is what God's Word says, so this is why you shouldn't do this. So yeah, you're you're trusting that leader to guide you. Yet, in a way, a lot of times we're giving them, t- we're trusting too much, hmm. and and that can harm us, especially if we have decided to give our trust over to that leader and not challenge or not question, not um, use our critical thinking skills. So we can easily get caught up into that, and that, and a lot of times that happens in a group setting because then you get the congregants or parishioners talking amongst each other about you know what that message was what it meant and and you could you could just get caught up into that realm of ideas that the pastor is teaching from the pulpit and you don't want to get out of that group you know you're you're part of this group this is your support system and right. they're involved in your lives and so you could easily just get caught up into that wave and without knowing it start a- adopting those teachings those false teachings, applying it to your life. Um, yeah, that's how cults are built or high controlling churches are built as well. So cult is kind of a dangerous word. A lot of people don't like it and will think, no, they were never part of a cult. But if I reframe it as that's how high controlling churches often function. Yeah. Okay. Here's a similar one. Hi, Nate and Tim. It's Rose from Chesterfield in the UK. I wanted to ask, how do you recognize spiritual abuse? What are the red flags to watch out for? 
Is it as simple as when the Bible is weaponized and questions are discouraged, or does it have to be worse than that to be abuse? I'm especially asking for when you've grown up in a church culture where that might be normal. Thanks ever so much. So how do you recognize spiritual abuse? That's such a great question, you know, because from my personal experience, there was a process of slowly letting this leader identify what I believed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, the way he was persuasive in, in his words, his charisma, um, his actions, you know, you, you just kind of get into this, I use the word wave before, but it is kind of like a wave. And before you know it, you're not at the same place you were when you started. So what I noticed was I would have questions that made me pause and say, wait, what? (laughs) What was that all about? And here's a good way to tell if you are an abusive, a spiritually abusive environment is if you ask that question, say, hey, what, what was this all about? Can you, you know, I'm, it's not sitting right with me. If you get a response that's negative, Mm -hmm. like, you shouldn't be questioning that, or you get reprimanded for questioning in any way, you're in an abusive environment, period. All questions should be received and answered. So basically, if you're asked if you're asking a question and it's dismissed and it's and you are put on the spot as a, the bad person for even daring to ask it, that's just just not a healthy environment. A healthy environment promotes, questions and transparency. And and even if a leader doesn't know, a good leader is going to say, you know what, that's a great question. I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. and Or maybe, hey, maybe we can you know discuss this further uh, with each other. Maybe we can learn together. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's not a, a good way when, when you get those types of responses from church leaders. What are the parallels do you feel between sexual and spiritual abuse? <sighs> Let me, I want to read something to you, Nate, from the um, investigative report. Yeah. Because to me, this is key on how Zacharias lured these women. So it says, according to this witness, Mr. Zacharias used religious expressions to gain compliance as she was raised to be a person of faith. She reported that he made her pray with him to thank God for the opportunity they both received. I know this is hard, right? Okay, let me continue. She said he called her his reward for living a life of service to God, and he referenced the godly men in the Bible with more than one wife. She said he warned her not ever to speak out against him or she would be responsible for the millions of souls whose salvation would be lost if his reputation was damaged. So you see here, he elevates himself. That should be a red flag right there. Any leader who elevates themselves, question that right there. He's using his religious expressions to gain compliance. So he's saying, thank God for this opportunity. So what he's saying is he's of that high level spiritually that he gets to say to her, oh, yeah, God has told me, you know, this is an opportunity. I'm telling you this is an opportunity and let's thank God together. So again, he's putting himself above her spiritually just by saying that. And again, when he continues with calling, saying that that's his reward, 
well, hello, is that, is that not a narcissistic response? You know, I'm the number one. I look at me, I've done this life of service to God. Um, and then, then putting himself on an equal level with godly men in the Bible. Okay. So what we see here is a narcissist who, well, I don't even want to say the word narcissist. People get mad, you know, when you start putting clinical labels. But anyway, you have a, a self-absorbed man who loves himself and who puts himself at such a high level with God. Well, that's contrary to scripture already. We know in scripture that servant leadership is what Christ modeled. Christ was humble. He d- he liked to do things in private, not with the crowds. He took care of individual needs first, not even the spiritual stuff first. I mean, we see him giving food and and water or whatever, you know, breaking the bread for the multitudes in, instead of giving a sermon first. He he met those physical needs first. Hmm. And all you see with Zacharias is all about him and how he was able to lure people. And so this is just the most vile kind of spiritual abuse ever. It's infuri- infuriating to me because what you're dealing with is you've, you've got secondary abuse here. You've got spiritual abuse and sexual abuse all at the same time. Yeah. And what a mess this is for a woman who is already vulnerable, who's already trusting this man because he's like a father figure and and maybe they haven't had a, a decent father figure. And then he's pulling this sexual crap and calling it godly. Wow. I remember reading that in there. It is un- it's, I had to like pause and take a break. After. It's just, it, that's unbelievable. Um, you know, that Lori Ann Thompson is here alive with us today. I'm telling you, I, I, I will never know exactly how much pain and, you, you know, all the comments that she's received. I know I've, I've <laughs> looked at these articles and read the comments, responded to, you know, some of them, but the amount of trauma that Lori Ann Thompson has faced and, you know, other survivors in, in a similar situation is just beyond imagination and that these survivors are still here with us. Wow. Yeah. Uh, she's a hero. Definitely. She's a hero in my mind. Definitely. Yeah. It's a self-infliction. There's enmity, there's fiction. I'm just thinking about um, the spiritual abuse angle as well. Do you think, and I don't know, maybe we're, maybe we're in different spots on this a little bit. Do you think that some of the just baseline Christian beliefs are abusive? So, and again, this is coming back to my question of does the theology need to be examined at all? You know, being told from the age of two or three years old that you're bad, mm-hmm. you know, there's something wrong with you. You're, uh, you know, and also you can't, you know, from a, maybe not from two or three, but like, I'm talking kids that grew up in this, but maybe later on you start hearing that you're on, you know, your feelings and your whatever, that's not trustworthy. Um, you know, you can only trust the Bible. You can only trust God being told continually that someone had to die for you. This whole, the whole idea of hell. And I know that there's, you know, we have done series on that talking about how this eternal conscious torment, like that's probably not even what the Bible was getting at or, but then we talk about sex. We talk about our bodies, um, just with purity culture and yeah, uh, 
if if I was to say some of those things to my my child, like that's that over the course of their life, that that would be considered emotional abuse. But we believe them about God, and so it's it's okay, and it's not. You know, I don't know what. Boy, you know, you've you've touched on something so difficult and challenging. You know, when you've been brought up in the church, and you know, how dare you, Nate? <laughs> how dare you go there? <laughs> Let me add a, qu- a story into this. Sure. I want to hear your response to this story, a personal story of mine. So when I was doing ministry in, in San Francisco, I remember we did a lot of ministry to like gangs and in different projects there in the Bayview District of San Francisco. And there was one day we had a pastor who was a bit more connected with different kind of players in the gang scene um, and knew that there was going to be this turf war going on. And so he his suggestion was, let's bring the whole church to this basketball court in the middle of the project that we had friends in, we had relationships with some of the people there. We were doing ministry with them. So we have 75 people, 50, 75 people, men, women, children, families on this basketball court. We're singing songs, worshiping. And then the the shots start ringing out all around us, just you know, 20 feet away behind these buildings. And there's these kids, maybe 15, 16 years old, running around with pistols. I didn't think we were necessarily going to get shot like intentionally, but these are 15 year olds with guns. Like I felt like someone in this group and I'm a leader here. I'm a pastor of this group and I'm like, someone's going to get accidentally killed. But I just remember thinking, and this is where I think some of the things we believe maybe could be uh, abusive. I remember thinking my whole body was telling me, I was just shaking and my whole body is saying like, we need to get out of this situation. I'm looking at the other, there's maybe two other pastors there. I'm looking at them, making eye contact, like, Hey, you know, we need to go. They close their eyes and raise their hands and worship and sing louder. And I'm just like, (laughs) <laughs> like shaking. And so like I ended up after a while of like trying to get my body to stay there, trying to tell myself like, if you die for Jesus, like that's the ultimate whatever, you know? Anyways, I ultimately ended up leading maybe five or six people just took them. We just went in my car and we left. And I remember getting back to my apartment and just like crying and shaking and just feeling like I was so upset with myself for not having the faith to apparently like the rest of the church believe that if a bullet was coming at us, that God could just like redirect it or, and that that's, that's been like a, a key story, I guess, in my kind of deconstruction and realizing, like, I think some of the things I believed were abusive. And I guess that's kind of wrapped up in this question as well. Like, do we, do we believe abusive things? Does this, some of the theology and the beliefs need to be examined? Well, that's a horrific story. And I can see why that would be so unsettling for you. And it's unsettling to listen to. Um, and I think those of us who've gone through spiritual abuse do go through a process of, you know, it, are you going to abandon your faith or not? That's the first, that's one of the first questions. And if you're not, then what are you going to hang on to and why? And and you've got to go through these processes of just determining what's that, what's that found spiritual foundation that I'm going to stand on at this point. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's a right answer. All, all I know is that any of those men start hearing me say this publicly right now. You know, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> tweeted about or whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Um, but you know, when we've gone through what we've gone through, it's hellish and it's difficult. And for any of us to maintain any part of our faith. I kind of think it's a darn miracle <laughs> um, because it, it it's it's life changing. I don't think I'll ever get over it. PTSD is real when it comes to spiritual abuse. Mm. So 
But yeah, I definitely think theology plays into that. And is it some of it wrong? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, look at it like this. <laughs> Again, let's get back to the male thing. But who who translated the Bibles that we have today? Men. Men. There you go. So yeah, um, the, the theology is kind of slanted one direction. Totally. So yeah, yeah. Okay, I got a few more listener questions here. Um, let's play this one. Hi, Nate and Tim. It's Stacy from North Florida. The SBC has narcissistic tendencies as an organization, using power to manipulate outcomes and setting those in power on pedestals, degrading, dismissing those in opposition through name-calling and alienation. I'm sure there are more overt and covert tendencies to note. My question is, how do survivors balance our own personal recovery process with a very real need to be a voice against the abuse patterns and this denomination? I appreciate you answering this question. Thank you. Boy, I deal with that a lot. Stacy has a great question. Um, first of all, when you've gone through spiritual abuse, we've gone through spiritual trauma. And, and I think it's so important to understand trauma and what it does to our soul and our just our being. Uh, it manifests itself emotionally, even physically. So we've we've got to we've got to do our own work and try to recover from that in as best ways that we can. Uh, I'm just going to put it out here. I would strongly encourage therapy, but not from a Christian <laughs> therapist. Yep. Yep. So, you know, this is a long process. It's, you don't, you know, I, I still am recovering and I think I'll probably say that till I die. But for me personally, I, I struggle because, um, I do have a little bit of a platform and following because of my blog. So I feel like since I have that, I want to be pushing stuff out, you know, but I, I, again, I deal with compassion fatigue as well. So I've got to take care of myself. So the key thing is survivors, spiritual abuse survivors, take care of yourselves, try to get as much healing done as you can. And then, um, you know, if there's opportunities to use your voice, by all means, hey, tag me and I'll retweet it too. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, here's, here's another one that came in. Hi, Almost Heretical Podcast. My name is Lindsay, and I'm an American who is currently residing in the Middle East. I have a question about how we can bring up the topic of spiritual and sexual abuse to our friends and family who, who are currently inside the church, but who don't believe that this is a systemic problem, who only believe that these are isolated incidences. How can we ask questions in a way that allows for further conversation and doesn't shut them down, but actually challenges their thinking without making them defensive. Thank you. Wow. Well, here's the way I look at it in general, and it's a very pessimistic way, but it's been my reality since I started blogging in 2012, is that people are going to believe what they want to believe. Mm. And there's really no amount of persuasion that's going to get somebody to try to um, challenge their own thought processes on, on these things. So what I have found that is the best way is by personal stories. Hmm. It's what 
helped me leave my lethargy <laughs> and and woke me up because when you have a personal story you're following along you're trying to you know whenever we have a relationship with somebody we're trying to get those connection points with them you know your job your location you know where you know Nate you and I come from the Pacific Northwest so we mm-hmm. already know that connection but we we grab onto those little connection points in our in our stories um so in in telling a personal stories you're doing the same thing um inside whether you like it or not and you're connecting with little spots in their stories that resonate with you that is the best way to help somebody think and understand and question what's going on it's it's kind of like a political thing you know you try to you try to explain something about trump or now if they're already have a mindset they're not going to hear it mm. so you you got to do it in a roundabout way lindsay is right a good way to do it is by asking questions because then they're not on the defensive. But overall, where I have seen the most change is through personal stories. Or, you know what, sadly, but often this is what happens, is then that person may um, have somebody very close to them who goes through the experience and finally it resonates with them and they go, oh, wow, I get it now. Hmm. So that's the sad thing that we're dealing with is so many just want to dismiss these stories and I, there's just no easy answers. Hmm. Okay, got another one here. Hi, Nate and Tim. My name is Tom and I'm an American citizen living overseas in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. My question is, what structural changes must churches and denominations like the Southern Baptists make to treat the issue of sexual abuse with the respect that it deserves? And is this change even possible? Thank you. You know, Tim, I think it still comes back down to women's voices. So what structural changes need to take place? Well, invite women to the table. Because yeah. if they're not going to be heard anyway, then, you know, it, nothing's going to happen. So inviting women to the table. And well, of course, there's, a, you know, the, the safeguarding, um, you know, inviting people like Grace Organization to help structure safe guidelines and whatnot for churches on sex abuse, that type of thing. You know, that's, that's, that should be done anyway. That's like standard, like base. Level. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But again, you can't have structural change if you are marginalizing and not listening to 50% of the population. Come on. Yep. I, I don't understand why this is so difficult. Yep. Okay. Actually, we just got a question. This is what I love about about throwing the question out right before we start recording is we're getting questions right now. So here's one that just came in. Um, let's play that now. Hey, Nate and Tim. Uh, my name is not Jeffrey because the nature of my question, but have you ever had instances where people who have had sexual abuse in their past manifest that abuse in physical ailments? Um, I've often wondered if some of the issues that I deal with uh, are related to sexual abuse in my, in my past? Well, I uh, am certainly not a, um, a sexual abuse expert, but as a trauma survivor, I know for a fact that I have dealt with physical ailments, chronic physical ailments due to emotional abuse. So you better believe, uh, I think, that it can happen with sexual abuse. Our, our brains have to do something with that trauma. 
and they it it needs to go somewhere. Uh, it's looking for an outlet, and I I think that often happens for sex abuse survivors. Sadly, to so, Tom, I'm terribly sorry about what you experienced, and um, I hope that you can get some help and um, get to a place of healing and recovery. You know, this so much of us are on this this recovery journey. And, um, you know, my heart really goes out to you. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you, you know, for those who have experienced like Tom, um, and many others maybe that are asking these questions and maybe some that didn't submit questions, but are listening right now, um, who have experienced specifically sexual abuse, um, in, in the church or, or outside of the church, but, um, specifically tied with, with, um, the spiritual abuse that goes along with it, but you haven't come forward or just this, this, this thing that's just been, been with them all these years, what would you encourage? What would you encourage them to do? What do you want to say to them um, as they're living with this? Wow. You know, there are so many who have been traumatized spiritually. And then when you get that sexual component, you know, that's a whole other layer. So you've got secondary abuse, secondary trauma. This is really a difficult process and so painful. And I just, you know, my heart breaks for those who have experienced this kind of pain and trauma. First of all, I want to say you are so not alone. There are many of you out there and that's, that's really heartbreaking to even acknowledge, but keep talking, keep telling your story. When you tell your story, you connect with others who also thought that they were alone. Mm. And and when you get that connection, it's like, oh, okay, you're here, I'm here, we're alive. You know, let's wrestle with this this journey that we're on together that none of we we never asked to be a part of. But there is a, a powerful thing that happens when survivors get together and encourage and support each other. It's a beautiful thing. I've seen in many contexts. And I just really encourage people to try to move forward, get the help that you need from therapists. Again, I would not recommend Christian therapists, but skilled therapists. Um, there's been some great work with EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people do. In fact, I uh, am going to be seeing a therapist for the first time with EMDR. I've got some residual stuff that I'm still going through. You know, this this is difficult, um, but just keep moving forward. I think there is hope. And you can get to a life of enjoyment and you can experience life again in a more meaningful way. Your relations can improve as you keep moving forward. I think probably one of the worst things is just to dismiss what happened to you and try to just move on without addressing it. But I think overall, a healthy response is if you can seek some help and and try to get with others. Hmm. I'm curious as a woman, what has it felt like to research this topic for years? You know, three years ago, you were kind of breaking this news about Lorianne. You've done this with so many others. We talked about this at the beginning a little bit, but what does it feel like as a woman to share research about women's voices being silenced and then to have your own voice as a woman be silenced? How does this, how does it feel? You know, Nate, I'm pissed. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and, and here's the deal. 
the moment I hit publish, I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I knew it. I've done it. Been there, done that. So it's very disheartening. It feels depersonalizing. It feels like, well, <laughs> I'm going to get personal here. Uh, the last time I was on your show, I was married. I'm now divorced. Yeah. And my ex is from that type of teaching. And I, I felt like I didn't exist in the home. I, I was not even present. So that is what I feel like as a lot of times as I'm blogging. What's really cool is I've got a lot of male followers who are elevating my voice by retweeting and you know they're just saying keep keep talking I'm listening I'm you know and and that is huge to have men come alongside me and say you're saying the right stuff I value your voice they are modeling to the rest of the church what how it should be but yeah, it's it's been tough. It's been really tough. It's because it's you know I'm hit I'm getting it from both ways because it's 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 reminding me of what my marriage was like, and it's also been my experience in the church as well. So yeah, it's uh, kind of re-traumatizing to me as well. Hmm. But yet, I keep on thinking, I I've been given this platform. Got to keep moving forward. Yeah. Got to keep moving forward. <laughs> so that's what I do. Yeah. I'm going to read two of your tweets and, uh, and ask you a final question. I ask the same question um, to a lot of our guests that we have on the show. But um, okay, so one tweet, this is from February 12th. If you're a church leader who publicly defended Ravi Zacharias after Lorianne Thompson's personal account came out in 2017, it's time for you to publicly apologize to your audience and also to Lorianne Thompson and her family and anyone else you dismissed. And I just say to that too, like I, I, I felt like when, after reading that and then I saw some other tweets about someone had just taken screenshots of everyone who did celebrate his life uh, on back in May of 2020 when he died. And one of them was a, a guest that we had on this show, uh, Brian Zond. And just in, in kind of checking the receipts on all of that and him saying that he didn't know when he published that and then looking in the comments of his original tweet back in May and realizing someone told him and just believing that it's the responsibility of these pastors and influential Christian leaders to do their work and, and research. We actually pulled that interview from our show with Brian Zahn just because it just didn't check out. So if you want to hear our reasoning for that, you can go to the interview with Brian Zahn on our website and um, we lay out all of the screenshots and all of, all of that to explain why we did that. Um, and we've gotten pushback from a couple men actually. But um, uh, yes, but so anyways, I, I, I totally resonate with that and, and feel like that is is needed it's time for and and honestly if there had been some sort of a statement or something like that it's a little bit late now but if there had been something like that you know we're not unreasonable we want to we're giving people <laughs> the ability to to learn and, and grow and, and and change and realize they're wrong and come forward about being wrong we're not like trying to cancel people here necessarily but when that's not when that's not the case and and actually what's happening is this defense and saying i didn't know i didn't anyway okay um and then the next tweet men um, if you have not publicly spoken out against misogyny to other men, may I kindly ask, why haven't you? A woman can speak out until she's blue in the face, but to misogynists, her words mean nothing. Your voice is needed, please. And so uh, my, the question I end the show with, um, and kind of in, in, in the spirit of both of these tweets, where do we go from here? And then the question I always ask, where do you find hope? Where are you finding any bit of, of hope? 
you have to start where you presently are, right? So we're in a dysfunctional, uh, misogynist world. So we start in a dysfunctional, misogynist world. And we make intentional steps to continue the process of elevating women's voices and challenging the idea that women are not equal with men. Where do I see hope? It's kind of exactly what I said in that tweet. Those men who come alongside me and encourage me and, you know, retweet what I say because they agree with me and and they're saying, come on, guys, think this through here. These guys give me hope because I already know that women are going to be dismissed just because of that theological structure. It's going to take men to do this work. And I'm thankful that there are some great guys out there who are just saying, what is going on, you guys? Hey, bros, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Thank you so much for your work and uh, for bringing this story to us three years ago and keep doing what you're doing. And I hope that interviews like this and the retweets and just everything that um, that is happening will get more attention to your work and what you've been doing and others others that are doing this work as well. I know you raise their voices as well on Twitter, people that are doing this work too. I hope that the default will be to listen, to not dismiss, right. to deal with, and to accept and uh, and maybe have this stop happening and break this cycle. And um, so I appreciate the work that you're doing and thank you for coming on and, and answering these questions and, and just talking about this for a bit and keep going. Thank you, Nate. Thank you for the opportunity. And I'm so grateful for what you've been doing at Almost Heretical. It's uh, always enjoyed the podcast and, and I love how you give people who are struggling through these issues a, a, a place to think through their their stories and and maybe get some understanding so thank you thank you so much for spending some time with us today and for listening in on this really important topic if you want to go a bit deeper with us we have a whole second podcast called utterly heretical where we get into some more stories share personal experiences and it's just a bit more conversational if you want to listen to that you can find out more at almost heretical.com all right i'll catch you next time